The reading this evening is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. If you'd like to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 969. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mandy. As Chris said, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name's Matt. I'm part of uh, the ministry team and uh, the Leaders' Council on the PCC here at St John's Blackheath. We are in the third week of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. First week was looking at the Beatitudes, which was to do with our character as Christians and how that should come through in our lives. Last week, Chris was speaking about us being salt and light, how salt is a, is a preservative and what that means for us living that out as Christians, and also how we are light, how that light should shine out of that character into the world and those that we are around. Next week, as we move forward further into the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus says specifically and how they can be applied into our lives. The verses that we've got this week, between 17 and 20, those four verses are an introduction, really, into what Jesus is about to say immediately following this in verses 21 onwards. And so I'll give a nod to those verses a little bit in what I'm going to be saying um, this evening. One commentary I read told me that verses 17 to 20 of Matthew chapter 5 are some of the most difficult verses to understand in the Bible. Where are you, vicar? Thanks for this. (laughs) So let us pray that God will shine his light into these verses. Heavenly Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit because we want to understand what this word is saying to us. Lord, would your word and spirit come together, reveal to us the truth of these words that Jesus spoke so that we can be changed and challenged and be different as a result of them. We invite you to come now in all that is said over the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So, my attempt to explain these most difficult verses 
is as follows. I'm going to talk first of all about Christ's attitude to the law and the prophets, as it says in these first couple of verses. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the challenge that is to us as Christians. Two C's already. Christ's attitude, Christian challenge. And then there's a third one, but I'm not going to tell you that yet because that would spoil the punchline. So that's where we're going. And I'm going to take on a little bit of, of a journey. So I'm going to kind of build upon build. So as I talk about Christ's attitude to the law, I want us to hold this in our thoughts as we look at the challenge and then go into the, the final point. Does that make sense? Excellent. Two people nodded. Verse 17 and 18, if you've got your Bibles open. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, why might Jesus be starting off by saying that at this point? Well, the reason is, yes, it's going to introduce us in a minute to how he interprets the law and the prophets. But also, if you think about what Jesus has been up to, it's quite a reasonable accusation that Jesus' understanding of the law and the prophets is a little bit different to how the, the Jewish people have been led to believe up to that point. For example, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and then they say, you can't do that. You can't heal on the Sabbath. That's, that's a rest day. You can't be working on the Sabbath. Then to make matters worse, after healing on the Sabbath, Jesus then says to the person he's healed, right, you. Well, he's a bit more kind than that. Right, you. Pick up your mat that you've been lying on, now you're healed, and walk. By picking up the mat and carrying it, this man is now breaking the Sabbath law because you weren't allowed to carry things. So Jesus says, don't think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. By speaking of the law and the prophets, although we can break it down to the, to the law or probably a better word, the teachings of the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets we know are those like Isaiah who we're looking at on a Sunday morning at the moment. And then you've got other writings. But, but really Jesus is putting it all together. When he says the law and the prophets, he's talking about what we would call the Old Testament. All of that together. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Come to abolish what Christians will call in a few years' time the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear... There's a little bit of hyperbole there from Jesus, because heaven and earth aren't going to disappear. It's kind of saying, for all eternity, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. If we were looking at this several hundred years ago, the version of the Bible we would have would be uh, the King James Version, where it speaks about not a jot or tittle. Ever heard that phrase? Not a jot or tittle will be changed. Translated here is the, the smallest letter. I could have put this up on the screen, but I didn't want to put too much up. I'm going to have a visual aid in a minute. Wait for it. But the, 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 the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, not the smallest letter, is going to disappear from the law of the prophets. Nor even the, the, the slightest stroke of a pen with some of the characters in Hebrew. Just by slightly changing it a little bit, it means something completely different. 
If you want to put it into our understanding, it's a bit like dotting an I and crossing a T. By putting a dot above an I or crossing what looks like an I, it becomes a T. Completely different. Jesus is saying, not even that tiny amount is going to disappear from the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And here I come to the magic trick. It's not a magic trick. I've been setting up. Okay, you see before you three glasses. Can you see that at the back? So first of all, Jesus is saying, let's take this half full or half empty. Depends how you view life. But anyway, it's got water in it halfway up or halfway down. Jesus says, I have not, say this is representing the law and the prophets, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Nor have I come to, as sometimes it is incorrectly interpreted, I suggest by Christians, nor have I come to Complete in the sense of just finish the law and the prophets. No, says Jesus. This is where I can make a lot of mess. It worked at home once. The other time it was all over the table, Helen. I've come to fulfill. What have I done there? I've filled it full. I've come to fulfill. It's even in our English word. To fill up the law and the prophets. To make their meaning full. Hold that in your sight as I carry on through the rest of these verses in this preach. I have come, says Jesus, not to abolish, but to fill up, to fulfill the law and the prophets. That's Christ's attitude. I'll unpack it a little bit as we move into the challenge to us as Christians. Because Jesus goes on in verse 19, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands... That's not just specifically the Ten Commandments, but all of the commands. If anyone sets aside, which is a better translation than you find in some of the NIV, which is, which is breaks, it's more kind of sets aside or, or, or loosens. If anyone loosens, sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You're still in the kingdom of heaven, but you're bottom of a ladder. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Go to the near the top of the ladder. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Gulp. Then Jesus goes on from verse 20 into verse 21 and following. 
with six examples which unpack a little bit what he's just said there in those verses, particularly that last verse. Now, that's for someone else to preach in the coming weeks, but just let me give a little nod to a couple of those examples. For example, if you look on, Jesus starts to talk about murder. It's been said, thou shalt not murder. Everyone goes, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we don't kill anybody. And that's, you know, we don't murder. However, I say to you, not just about murder, but if you're angry in your heart, if you call your brother or sister racker or fool and judge them in your heart, you're committing murder. Really? He goes on. You have read it has been said, do not commit adultery. Oh yeah, we're, we're with that one, Jesus. Don't go and you know, sleep with a woman when you're already married or sleep with a married. No, no, no. And Jesus says, I tell you, even if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Wow. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, I think we sometimes give a little bit of a, a hard time to as Christians. They weren't, you know, it's very, it can be very black and white, can't we, and say, oh, you know, the Pharisees come on, boo, hiss, they're the bad guys. Jesus comes on, hurrah. You can always say hurrah when Jesus comes on, of course. I think we would quite like, I'll just be honest, some of us as Christians would quite like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they take the law and they come up with these kind of 14 subpoints and say, right, if you meet that, you're all right. They're not all like that, and some of them, as we read, are trying to catch Jesus out. They're a mixed bag, really. I used to be a solicitor, some of you know. And when I was trained to be a solicitor, I worked up in the West End in a firm of solicitors, and I had a, a, an Orthodox Jewish boss. And I, we had some fantastic conversations. I used to love um, working for him and sometimes literally for all of lunch hour we'd just sit in his room and we'd talk about faith because he was serious about his faith and I was serious about my faith. And I remember one time he was telling me about his attitude to the Sabbath. He said to me, he said, on the Sabbath, which of course is, is Saturday for him, he said, on the Sabbath, he said, I could, if I wanted to, come into this building. He said, I, I wouldn't be able to drive in or come on public transport, he said, because the law forbids that for me, because by driving in, you're, you're making fire. It says in, in the law that you can't make fire. He said, so by driving a car, you have to fire up the car. He said, so I couldn't drive in, but I could walk in. He said, because you're allowed to do a Sabbath day's walk, which is a certain distance from the city. He said, I live in London. He said, I can walk from one side of London right across the other on the Sabbath. He said, that's fine. He said, so I could walk into work. He said, I could come upstairs he said, and I could look at my post. Now, I couldn't pick up my post because that would be carrying it. Remember what I said earlier about the man who picked up his mat? He said, I couldn't do that. He said, but if my post was open for me, I could then read through my post. He said, now what I'm going to do with it? He said, well, I want to, he said, I could write answers to these letters. He said, but I can't make a permanent mark according to the law. He said, but there's an ink that exists now. And this is 30 odd years ago we're having this conversation. He said, there's an ink that is used now in some Jewish hospitals, he said, which lasts for 48 hours. And then it fades. He said, so what I could do is I could write out my answer to these letters. 
And then I could put them there. He said, and then I could go home. And he, I said, I could come in the next day. And I could quickly dictate. That's what we used to do in the old days. Use a dictaphone to dictate onto a tape that his secretary could then type up. He said, I could do all of that if I wanted to. By the letter of the law. He said, but I won't because it's not the spirit of the law. Using my term now, it's not the heart of what it's about, not the heart of the law. He said, because the Sabbath for me is a day of rest. The Sabbath for me is a day to go to the synagogue and worship God. The Sabbath for me is a day to sit at home and read the scriptures and spend time, he wasn't married at that point, spend time with my father. That's what the Sabbath is for. It's not for working. Wow. Part of me at the time thought, I think Jesus would quite like the way that he was living out his Sabbath. Hadn't yet discovered Jesus as his Messiah, but there was something there about what the heart was about. This is what Jesus is getting at here as he starts to unpack this and explain what he's actually saying with the examples. He gets to the heart of the matter. What's the heart of thou shalt not murder? That we go around being angry with everybody but we just hold back a little bit so we don't finally kill them? Is that what it's about? No. Jesus says, don't even get angry in your heart. What's the heart of thou shalt not commit adultery? Is it, well, I'm just being very open here, but is it, well, I can look at a little bit of pornography now and again. That's fine because that's not adultery. I can look lustfully at women as I walk down the street, providing I don't take it any further and actually commit adultery. Well, you know, I've obeyed the law. Jesus says no. That's not the heart of it. The heart of it is purity. The heart of it is treating people of the opposite sex in the right way. The heart of it is keeping everything about yourself in the right place for your husband or your wife. That's at the heart of it. I'm sure we'll hear more of this in the weeks to come as we unpack some of those challenging verses that are in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we come to verse 20, though, don't we? I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's one thing to look at these verses and think, yes, Jesus is trying to get to the heart of it, he's going deeper. There is a righteousness there that we need to aspire to and go after as Christians, absolutely. But let's be really honest. Who here can say, yes, I have fulfilled that? Who can put their hand on their heart, keep talking about the heart, put their hand on the heart and say, you know what, I've never been angry with anybody, never had a bad thought about anybody else? Who can put their hand on the heart and say, I've never looked lustfully at another woman or man in my life? And I've just picked two things, and there's loads more. There's six examples, but there's loads more, isn't there? Unless your righteousness surpasses that, goes beyond that of the Pharisees. Well, Jesus, how good is good enough? Let's come back to my water. Let's say, 
The Pharisees, we're going to give them benefit of the doubt. I mean, they're getting it fairly right, Jesus seems to be suggesting. So let's say they're, uh, I don't know, 65%, 70%. What have we got to do then to surpass that if it's 70%? 71%. That's surpassed it, hasn't it? See if I can get this. I don't know if I have water I've got left. Yes. Is that it then? We've done a little bit more than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We've surpassed it. But then which Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Because they're not all the same, are they? Do we take an average? Do we find a really good Pharisee who's at like 90%, one who's not quite so good, who's down at 60%, and then take an average of the two, 96, and say 75, therefore I've got to get 76, I'm in. Which cohort of Pharisees are we thinking about? Is it the 2015 cohort or the 2018 cohort? Because they've just mucked around with it. It's like GCSEs. It used to be A's to C to get a pass. It's now one to nine. I don't know what to do. This is where verse 20 and verse 17 links up together. Listen to my emphasis. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. You see, the truth is, we need someone to fill up that glass. We can't do it. 75, 80, 95% ain't good enough. To fulfill it, it takes somebody else. It takes Jesus. Have you ever thought back in uh, a few verses earlier, a couple of chapters earlier, at the baptism of Jesus... John the Baptist is baptizing for a baptism of repentance. In other words, people have done wrong. They're coming to John the Baptist and he's baptizing on the repentance of their sins. So they're coming forward saying, I've got something wrong. I want to be forgiven. I want to turn away from that. Baptize me. When Jesus comes forward, John the Baptist looks at him and said, I'm not baptizing you. Why is he not baptizing him? Because he hasn't done anything wrong. Jesus is is perfect. He's fulfilled the law and the prophets. All the laws that there, Jesus has kept. You can't baptize me. I'm not baptizing you, John the Baptist says. Jesus says it is necessary to what? It is necessary to fulfill righteousness. To fill up for everybody. Chris was telling us the other day, I think, when we had a, a baptism here at church, how when we get baptized, we are baptized into Jesus' death, and then we come up out of the water. Sorry, I'm showing you full immersion baptism because that's the one I'm used to. I'm not trying to make a point, but it just helps. We baptize into Jesus' death, and then we come up out of the water into resurrection life to fulfill all righteousness. The law and the prophets. 
And so all the stuff that we find in the Old Testament, all those strange kind of ceremonial laws, really what they're about, they're about cleansing. We need to be cleansed by Jesus. We need to be spiritually cleansed. When we come to take the bread and the wine, we need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. This is all, of course, pointing towards the cross. As Jesus is saying these words about this surpassing righteousness, it's looking towards the cross, which we're going to remember in the bread and the wine. Because what happens at the cross? All the sacrificial system of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment. Is it abolished? No, says Jesus. It's still in existence, but it is fulfilled in me. Because when Jesus is crucified on the cross for the sins of the world, all the sheeps that have been slaughtered and the goats and all that stuff that you can read about in Leviticus and all that, Jesus said, it's now being fulfilled in me. The lamb slain before the beginning of the world. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Absolutely. I cannot enter the kingdom of heaven as Matt Baker without the fact that Jesus has died for me on the cross and dealt with all of my sins and all of my wrongs and all of my lustful thoughts and all of my murderous thoughts as Jesus defines it. But the miracle of it is, when we are born again, that phrase, being born from above, when Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, comes into our lives as we repent and say, actually, I'm not righteous. And as I'm saying this today, if there are people here sitting there thinking, no, you've touched on a nerve. I know I'm not good enough. I've been struggling. I had a friend once who, who, who told me he was going to try and live his life by just following all of the Sermon on the Mount. That, isn't, that won't get you there. I mean, give it a go. You know, as we hear the preaching in the next few weeks, you know, we're going to give our utmost to live the righteous way that Jesus says. But what we need is to be born again, don't we? We need that change of heart. That's my third C. We need the Holy Spirit to come into us and change us as we repent, as we turn away and say, I can't do this, Lord, but I know you can. Chris again touched on this verse from 2 Corinthians. On the cross, he that was without sin became sin for us and imputed to us, given to us, is his righteousness, his right relationship with God. So the moment that we become Christians and that transaction takes place, you've got eternal life. Wow! That is miraculous. That is fantastic. That's the fulfilling of that righteousness. That's the topping up of the glass. And then as Christians, we go forward into our lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in that righteous place to live out, to attempt to live out in his strength. Why do we confess every Sunday, hopefully every day? We come back and say, you know what, God, I've got it wrong again. I said that to my kids. I thought that about that situation. I need your righteousness again. I need to come back into that place and say, I can't do this, but I need you. As I come to a close before I hand back to Chris and we go into a time of communion, let's just for a few seconds 
do our business with God. Just in the quietness, come to him. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Come to him. The fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. Come to him, the righteous one, who brings healing and forgiveness for whatever we've done, provided we repent and turn to him. Even now, in the stillness, Lord, would you come and touch our hearts. If there are those here that are turning to you for the first time, come by your Holy Spirit. Lord, your word is faithful, and if we turn to you, and if we repent, you forgive us because of the cross. Because of Jesus, would you come by your spirit and minister into those hearts this evening? And for all of us, we know we have failed you and fail you on a daily basis. We do not live up to this, even this heart of the law, standard that you ask of us. We come and say, Lord, we're sorry. We confess Come and forgive us. Cleanse us. Remind us that it's not about us, but it's about you. For you have come as our righteousness to give us that empowerment, that hope, that eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.